And thank you all. Our young ones can head back to Children's Church this morning. We're glad you were. Uh, oh, as she's heading out, we had a special thing in our family. My wife turned 21 this week. Now, now leave so I can tell what you really turned, okay? I'm going to wait till you're out of the door, you know. Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble that, that it was it was 4-0. Oh, no. But I'm blessed to marry to a wife that doesn't look more than 21. Love you. <laughs> so, that's right. See, I, I'm helping myself out a little bit this morning, too. So, you know, I hope you had a good week. We certainly did as we kind of shared in the momentous occasion of kind of the milestone birthday for my wife. And, and we took a couple days off and out of kind of the uh, area, kind of went to the Metroplex a couple days and just enjoyed enjoyed our time. And, and we had, I was laughing with Penny because we had Thursday night, her birthday was on Friday, but Thursday night uh, we were out, uh, had dinner and went to a late movie and, and uh, the movie finished just a touch past midnight. I mean, like five, ten minutes after midnight, which we never get to stay up near that late at all, but we managed it somehow, you know. And so the movie's over, and I realized it's past midnight. I looked at her and I said, happy birthday. And she goes, she starts crying. She didn't realize it was her birthday, you know. Oh, it's tough, you know. But um, I'm going to tell you, I, I've already told her this, but I, I was quite worried uh, about this birthday, uh, really selfishly about myself, and what I was to get her, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a guy-girl thing. For me, like a birthday is just, just the next day of the calendar, there's another number. But I know for women, maybe it's a little bit bigger deal, especially those kind of milestone birthdays. And I was really nervous because when she turned 30, I had this on videotape that what she asked for for being 30 is she wanted to become a mom. I mean, that's what she was she's like. We've been married almost five years, and she said, I don't want to be 30 and not at least be pregnant. You know, I want to, have, I want to start a family. And so sure enough, you know, a little over nine months later, here comes our first son. So I'm like, if I did that for our 30th, what am I supposed to do for 40? I am in trouble. I'm like, I don't know how to top that. I, I can't do anything. So, and like, we ain't adding more to the family. So, so maybe another dog or something. But, you know, we're, I'm, so I've been pretty nervous what to get her. You know, and so I, was, I really had been kind of racking my brain for a while of, you know, what to do, something special for my wife and she, as she turned 40 and, and had this wonderful birthday. And so I decided, you know, I'd go for the sentimental gift. You know, we were already having a kind of a couple-day getaway, and we've actually been, uh, we decided a couple years ago to save up and do kind of a special, she said, I want to celebrate my 40th on a beach somewhere. So we kind of been saving up for one sometime this year for us to kind of go off and do that. So that's kind of the present. But I want to do something, so I... Uh, said, let's do a sentimental gift. So I decided to kind of do a video, a compilation of pictures and home movies of the past 10 years, kind of from 30 to 40. And since she kind of said she wanted to, you know, start a family in this time of her life and, and do that, I wanted to kind of show the highlights of that. So I decided to sit down and, and do all that. Well, of course, it's not like I didn't know her birthday was coming, but when did I wait to get all this together? Until the last possible minute, of course, and so I, I was up here Wednesday night. It was the last chance I really had to put this thing together. And I had, I had spent some time collecting pictures and videos of the last 10 years of our family and the kids and all this. But I stayed up here Wednesday night, and I was up here till like almost 1 in the morning, I think. I mean, like everybody else left here by, I think, 8, and I was up here forever and ever and ever. 
getting this project done. And, and I was kind of really focused in. I mean, I was kind of like down to business, you know, getting it all laid out and the pictures and, you know, getting the, getting the music to go behind everything and, you know, trying to get this really nice sentimental gift. And, uh, Penny, don't listen to this part, but I was doing, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to earn some husband points with this, man. I was like, I was like, this is real. I could see it kind of coming together and I'm like, man, she is going to cry when she sees this. Like, I'm, I'm happy she's going to cry over it, you know, and I'm like, all the, all the sentimental pictures and photos, I'm thinking, man, she is going to love this. And so I find that almost at one o'clock in the morning, I get it done. You know, I get all the things. I mean, this thing was like, I had to really cut it down. I could have put a lot of videos in there. This thing was like almost 30 minutes long of all the stuff. Uh, but I knew she'd like it. So I get it all done, and I, I you know, want to make the DVD of it and get it all done. I said, well, I better uh, watch it myself just to make sure there's nothing wrong with it. No error, you know, nothing, you know I want to make sure it works so that when I give it to her, her birthday, it's good. Again, I had been so focused in on her reaction to it that I hadn't really been thinking about it you know, my feelings over this, but I put this, I mean, partly I was tired and worn out, but I put this DVD in to start watching these, you know, the home movies uh, of, of the last 10 years. And one of the first things we see is our eldest son, Peyton, is, you know, like a minute after he's born, mama holding him for the first time. And I had, you know, really been thinking about her reaction and she was going to kind of tear. I start just boo-hooing, crying. I'm, a, I'm just dead serious. I I mean, by the time this video is over, 25 minutes later, I'm sitting there crying like a nine-year-old girl. Like, I mean, I'm just, all the pictures of him, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, like, yeah, it was real manly looking. I mean, it was not manly at all. It was just the ugliest scene ever, you know, but I was like, it hit me. You know, I didn't think it was going to hit me. I, I, again, I was concentrated on, you know, you know, getting ready for her, but when I stopped, I kind of go, Oh, wow, I remember some of these things and some of the, the moments. You know, we get so busy with living for today and all the things we've got to deal with. And I'm so focused on what I've got to accomplish right now on my current schedule. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what was, where we came from, and all the, all the stuff that has happened over the past years. And so watching this little movie that I really meant to be something sentimental for my wife, it was... I mean, it hit me hard. I mean, it just hit me so hard to look back on some of the things of our family and our kids being born and the, and the good and the bad and everywhere in between and how God has carried us through. And, I mean, it just really stopped me for a moment and allowed me to kind of think about, you know, how we got to where we are today. You know, it's good that sometimes we stop. And we let ourselves kind of be hit with and even overwhelmed by where we've come from. You know, what's behind us? How we got to where we are today. You know, I know you're just like me, that you get busy with all the stuff of life. You get busy with the roles that are currently on you, whether that's, you know, wife or husband or parent or, you know, teacher or you know, grandparent, neighbor, friend, worker, whatever it is, in your, whatever the roles are, you get so busy with those things. But we don't often stop and get, let us just, again, be washed over with the things that have come behind us, what, where we really came from. What's, what are the things that have shaped us to get us to the place today? In fact, what we're really going to see this morning as we continue on in our series in 1 Corinthians, a healthy family, a growing family, is that in our lives, in our church, it's actually very important to take time to remember where you came from. It's really important to stop for a moment and go, let me think about really what is behind me. Let me, let me, let me examine for a second. Let me consider 
for a moment why I am the way I am, what, how I got here in my life and things behind me. You're going to see this morning as we get into Scripture how really important it is to understand just what is behind us, okay? And then we're going to understand what does it have to do with what is ahead of us. So we're continuing on again in the series of 1 Corinthians. We're four weeks into it, and I hope you've been blessed as we continue to look at God's Word together. So let's look again. 1 Corinthians, we're going to the end of chapter 1, and we're going to go through the beginning of chapter 2, verse 5 of chapter 2. Let's start reading verse 26 of chapter 1. It says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Let's take a few minutes to consider what we're learning as we go through, again, through this series in Corinthians. Again, Paul has been talking with the church there and with the believers about the pride issue that is in their life. That they had let let themselves get to a place where they thought themselves more than what they actually were. They, They felt they were puffed up and built up to being something more than what they were, and it caused sin to come in. And again, I've been telling you this over the weeks, as Paul writes this, he's addressing a church family that has all kinds of sin and divisions and issues and pains, and it started with the heart of pride that was in them. Now what Paul's challenging them to do is the same thing I'm challenging you to do this morning. He's saying, stop and think back to the time when God called your name. And you said, yes, God, I'm here. Come in. Save my life. Now, I don't know when that happened for you. We're all on, on uh, different journeys here. I know I was raised in the church. I, as a child, came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. A simple faith, but a saving faith. There was a day, even in those young years of my life, where I understood I needed a Savior. Now, you may have come as a child, maybe as a teenager, an adult. 
It's different for all of us, but I want you to think back to the moment, to the time, the season in your life where you can say, I know God was calling, and I responded. Now, first of all, I hope you can point to that time in your life. I hope you can point to... Now, I always say to people, I don't remember exactly what age I was. I don't remember exactly what day of the week it is or what month it was, but I know where I was. I I can see myself sitting in my bedroom at a house, the house we kind of grew up in, by myself talking to God. I know the prayer that happened right there. I know I can point back to the time in my life where I said, I know that, that God was calling and I responded. Now, if you don't have that... We probably need to talk. Because we don't ever want to go through life, and Paul doesn't want the believers there, the people there in Corinth to go through their life thinking that I have just somehow earned my way into God's presence and His favor. I've just just always believed in God. Well, even the devil's always believed in God. I've just always tried to live good. And I've always tried to go to church. And I know about Him. I've done good things. and I've, That doesn't do it. Your parents can't save you. It wasn't the, just the fact that you were maybe you were dipped in water at some point in your life that saved you. That's a symbol. That's a demonstration of the decision you made. You need to be able to go back and point out to the time of your life and go, God called I responded. And Paul's asking them to do the same thing. Think back to that time when God called you. And I hope that that day some people woke up and go, well, I, I don't know when that happened. Maybe that hasn't happened. It's time to pay attention to these things. But if you can look back on your life and say, I know God called and I responded, again, Think to that moment in your life and do as Paul challenges and ask yourself this question. What did I do to deserve being called by God? Were you extremely smart? Had you given a lot of money to the church? Were you very pious and religious? Were you good at telling others about Jesus? Is there there some reason God picked you That God called you because you have something of yourself that He says, I need Him, I need her, I'm going to call their name so they would respond unto me. If you think that, then, (laughs) well, that's not not how God works. See, last week, and and again, even this week, we see that God's talking about how He uses the foolish things. What does He mean by that? He's not calling you foolish, but He's saying He goes about And he calls on the people that not necessarily the world would think about being the followers of God. Let's let's take it back to an easier illustration for us. Let's all put ourselves, our minds, back on the playground in elementary school. And you're you're about to play kickball or tag or whatever your favorite game was with your friends. What do you do? You have two captains, right? And those captains, they sit down there and say, I'm going to pick Sally. I'm going to pick... John, I'm going to pick so-and-so. What, if you ever got to be one of those people, what are you looking for? You're looking for the strongest, the best. You're, you're, picking, you're picking the person who you know is good at that activity. You're picking your, your best friend 
that you want to have a close relationship with. Or you're, you've got a reason. I'm calling you because you have something that I need. You're bringing something to the team. We're used to that mentality, that idea of, I'm going to pick you because you got something. And we never like being the person, and then, I don't know if this happened to you, it did happen to me where you didn't get picked. It was kind of the end of the line, and you, go, oh, you know, I guess we'll take Greg, you know. Or, oh, great, I feel so good, you know. And some of us can even carry on that complex of, yeah, see, nobody ever really wanted me. Why would God want me? See, God does not work in this way. He doesn't look across the people and say, oh, there's this one. Oh, he's so smart. Oh, this one over here, she's going to be the best Sunday school teacher. Oh, this one. Oh, look at all the wealth he has. I know he'll give to the church. God doesn't go around saying, I'm going to pick somebody based on what they have. God calls. But his call is not based on what we have within us. In fact, God calls us despite of who we are. Because if you think about the moment God called your name, if you think of the time where you heard God's voice saying, come, respond to me, what did you really have that God needed? In fact, if you would stop and think about it, you would realize that your life at that point, because it is, had been lived in sin, because that's why we need a Savior in the first place, you're not bringing anything else to God. It's all God saying, I'm going to bring you. And then I am going to gift you and equip you and use you and do all these kind of things. But God chose you not because of who you were or what you had. He chose you in spite of those things. Why would he do that? Why would God call on people even when it's not who... The, who I would pick, what man would pick. Because God is not interested in you standing up and taking credit for what He's doing in your life. See, we get to that place. We get to that place where we think, it must be me. I think of it like this. You know, I've, we were talking about our family over the past 10 years and watching our family grow. I'm confident now as a father. You know, having almost 10 years of being a dad, I'm confident. You know, when my boys are going through things, when there's an issue, I'm confident I know how to handle it. That is not how I felt when I first became a father. And all of our parents in here, you know the feeling. That when I first became a father, I'm like, I am so unprepared for this. Like, I'm the last guy you want doing this because I... I don't know how to take care of this messy, stinky kid and crying all night. And, you know, I, I mean, just lost. I mean, I just felt so inadequate and so unprepared for being a dad. But now, nine, almost ten years later, I, I'm confident. Now, I could stand around and say, look at me. I'm super dad. I figured it out. It's all about me. God wanted me to be a dad because, you know, I'd be smart enough and I'd work hard enough and I'd be good to them and do it. Oh, it's about me. Or I could go back and realize God allowed me to experience that blessing when I certainly didn't deserve it. There wasn't really anything in me. And God saw me through the long nights and the hard days and He taught me the lessons so I could stand up and have more confidence not in myself, 
but in how He provides in me for that particular role in my life. When it comes to our Christian walk, we can have the same thing happen to us that happened right there in Corinth. We can start to stand up and say, I got this. Look at me. God must have wanted me because, because look at me, I'm a deacon. Look at me because I can write a good tithe check. Look at me because I can teach, I can help, I can run this. It must, now we don't say it must be about me, but the pride can so easily sneak up on us. And God wants to remind us, think back. Think back to when you were called. Did you really have anything that God needed? Any blessings you share in today, any giftings you have, anything that is in your life that is being used in the church and being used for the glory of God was given to you by God in the first place. It's a different place of realizing what I have is not of me, it is of God. Paul's trying to get them to think back, to stop and go, oh, how did I get here? To let it wash over me for a moment and go, man, God saved me in spite of a lot of junk, a lot of mess-ups. He was willing to save me in spite of the fact he knew the ways I would still mess up and the ways I would still fall short. He wanted to save me. And he called my name and I responded Not because I brought something to the table, but because He loved me. Sometimes it's good to stop. Just It's good to stop and think about just how did I get here in my walk with God. Think back to the day He called you and say, "Did did I really bring anything? Or did He just do it all? Paul says, who was wise among you? Who was all this and all that? None. But God uses the foolish thing. He uses the weak things. He uses the things that are not to shame the things and the the ones that say, look at me. So that none of us get to stand up and say, I've done it. We get to say, in spite of who I am, God has done these things in my life. Now, is that where we're going to end it this morning? Is Is that all I really want you to do is just have a time of of recollection and remembering back to when you were saved and no, that's not all I want you to do. Now, that, that's a good thing. That's, that's a good thing, recollecting back to when God called your name. And again, I hope you can pinpoint that time in your life. But that's not all I want you to do. That's not what Paul was really telling them to do. To just stop there and to think back to the day of when. See, Paul turns the corner and he says, let me give you an example. Paul's really good at this. He gives, says, look at what I've done. He's not boasting himself. He's going to say, look at what the Lord has done in me. He says, think back, when I came to you, I came with fear and trembling. He says, I I had to come and preach the gospel. I was planning a church. I had to come and teach and preach and speak. And I did not come with persuasive words. I did not come with great wisdom. In fact, I came and I was scared to death of what I had to do. But I did it. And God's power worked awesome in that. He's saying, think back to how this church was started. It wasn't about me. God did it. I saw this on display a few years ago in a really powerful way in my life. I have, I think, for six or seven years, every spring break, um, been a part of a program that goes and uh, takes 150 different preachers and sends them around the United States and even into Canada and does preaches revivals for churches that need 
a revival speaker to come in. It's actually done through the seminary, and I, I had started doing it when I was still a student there at the seminary and can, continued on. The first year I did it, again, about seven years ago, I think, uh, the first time I was involved in the program, if it was, again, your first time you had to go through like a little class, a six-week, eight-week kind of a prep course. They need to make sure you're, you know, you're ready to go handle preaching a revival for a week. And so the first time I did it, I was in there, and again, there was probably 150 total preachers, but maybe that's 75 to 100 in the little class. We met once a week, and we talked about prepping for revival. Now, of that 75 to 100 guys who were in the, the class, I was one of maybe 10 that had any preaching experience at all. Now, I'm not saying that as a boastful thing. I I think I was very blessed to be able to start preaching at a very young age. In fact, by the time I did that revival program, I'd I'd preached over a thousand sermons in my life. I just had the the experience of doing it many times. But most of the guys who were doing that, they had preached less than ten times, and probably half of them had never delivered one sermon in their life, and they were being sent to go preach five full days of revival services somewhere, okay? Tough assignment. Because I remember when I first started preaching, I, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, I, I know you're not just blown over by the messages today, but whoa, go back way, way back when. My first, I think my first sermon was eight minutes long. I read the whole thing. Everybody was asleep by the end of it. I'm telling you. And now only half the people are asleep when I'm done preaching. So that's improvement. No, but it, I, I, I remember what it was like to be a brand new preacher, like first time delivering the Word of God. It's hard. And so over these weeks leading up to revival, we were letting the guys who had really had very little preaching experience stand up and, and, and before us, before the other guys, give their sermons. So they could, again, just get used to standing and speaking. It's a tough thing. It takes, trust me, it takes a long time to get used to standing in front of people and talking for 30 minutes and, and explaining a Bible passage. And I listen to these guys, and I'm just going to be, I'm not being mean just because I was there once, but it, they were really rough. Most everyone I heard, I was like, oh, wow, okay, all right, we got some work to do. I mean, they just, that just first time you try anything, it's just difficult. And in fact, the guy who was leading the whole program, I thought internally, I didn't say it to him, but I thought, I said, man, you are foolish. You're foolish. You're fixing a sin. I mean, uh, probably at 75 of the, I mean, half of our total group to go out and preach around and these guys don't know what they're doing. I mean, they can barely make it through a 15-minute message, and they're struggling, and, you know, they're about to go take on a whole week assignment with the church that needs revival, and what are you doing? <laughs> I thought it was foolish. I said, I mean, you should at least have them have a little bit more experience in this. So everybody went off to a revival, and I went and preached one and came back, and everybody came back for kind of like the wrap-up session. How'd it go? And I'm going to tell you honestly, in pride, I, I thought that the, all these guys that were the first-timers, the no-experience guys were going to come back and say, man, it was really rough, and nobody paid attention, and nobody responded. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, I, I heard kind of what they were delivering. I'm like, I, they're going to say that it was, you know, maybe, you know, glad they got some experience, but it was tough. We came back in the room, and all these guys, I saw the same guys who had delivered in front of us the first time they'd ever preached these really rough, around-the-edge kind of messages. They came up, and they started saying, I saw three people saved this week. I saw a whole family recommit their lives into the church. I saw seven baptisms. I I mean, I'm like, one after another, these guys who had almost no experience standing up preaching God's Word were saying, here's what I saw. And it finally clicked. It finally 
hit. Because you know what these guys did? They didn't need to go and be the most persuasive speakers. They didn't need to have the deepest knowledge of the Bible. They needed to go and preach Christ crucified and deliver the Word of God faithfully, not put themselves on display, and people respond to it. They didn't need to put themselves out there. They needed to put Christ in front of the people. And it worked. And it worked. These guys who were not good speakers at all, it didn't matter. Because God will use the weak things. He uses the foolish things. He uses us when we're scared to death of doing something. If we stand on the message of Jesus Christ, He will provide. So what does this mean for you? First, I've challenged this morning. I said, stop, think, go back. Go back to the time when you know God called and you responded. If you got that time in your life where you says, I know God called me, I was ready to respond. And just examine, just, just admit to yourself going, I didn't bring anything. I didn't have worthiness of myself. God, God saw me in spite of who I was and brought me along. Now let me ask you this. As he has saved you, And he's not going to save you just to put you aside. He saves you and then he uses you for his glory. What is he putting before you that scares you to death? Now, you probably don't get asked that question a lot, but I'm convinced. I believe it because I see my life because I believe Scripture bears it out. That when you're a Christ follower, he will push you to places you do not want to go. He will put something on your heart that will scare you abundantly. I mean, just overwhelmingly. I'm going to tell you right now, that's an awesomely good sign that that is God working. When he puts something before you, when he puts a burden and a passion on your heart, but it scares you completely. Friends, that's often God working right there. Because he wants you to be scared. He wants you to be going, I don't know if I can do this. He wants you to go out and and the trembling and go, I I can't do this in myself. Because God's trying to say, you can't do this yourself. Go out there and stand on the word of God in the name of Jesus Christ and watch how I provide. Now, does that mean every one of you is about to be a preacher? Does that mean starting next Sunday, I'm just going to have you one in turn come up and start preaching the sermons? No. You're like, thank goodness. Whew. Good word there. I don't know what it is for you. So he called me to stand up and deliver his word and go preach to people. He calls others to go in different areas of ministry. He calls them to work with the children and the youth. And he has some of his prayer warriors and his evangelists and his missionaries. And he has, he has you out there in your, in your secular jobs that you work out in the world. He has you out there for a reason. And he's saying, go spread my message and go live for my name. And you say, but it's scary. I don't know how hard. He goes, stop, think back. I saved you, not so you were, because you were some awesome person that would be able to handle these situations. I saved you because I'm going to use you in these moments, and you won't be able to claim a bit of credit for it. You're going to step back and go, wow. What? Let me tell you what God did in my life when I was just faithful to follow Him. I mean, what awesome things begin to happen when you step forward, even in fear and in trembling, not trying to stand up and thinking you've got it, that you brought the human wisdom and the persuasive words, but you stand on the message of Christ crucified. So I ask you again, what is God calling you to do that is scaring you to death? 
See, what I love about Paul is he says, I came, I was scared, I was nervous, I was all these things, I didn't know how to handle all, but I, but I still, I came. Still, I did what God has called me to do. See, a lot of people are, never make that transition. A lot of Christ followers say, I know God saved me and I'm thankful that He did and I know He's calling me to do this, but it's just too scary, so I'm just going to take my seat, stay here, and wait till a safer moment comes along. I'll sit here and wait and see if somebody else will do this thing. I'll sit here and make sure I listen to the preacher and try to sing the song, but don't push me beyond that. Because it's too scary. Because I know I don't have that in myself. Because I know I don't really have that strength and that knowledge and that ability and all these things. And it's too much. God says, think back. When I saved you, you didn't have it either, but I still, I saved you. Still, I called your name. And I did it for a reason. Putting aside pride helps us go, I love that God saved me in spite of who I am. And if God did that, He is certainly going to carry me through to the next thing. And I really honestly believe that some of you here this morning, and you're dealing with God's call over something in your life. Whether that's to step up in a new role of ministry. Well, that's to come forth and say, you know what? I'm tired of being on the sidelines in the church. I'm going to come and I'm going to be in the church. I'm going to be a part of the body of Christ. Maybe he's calling you and says, you've really been living away from me. It's time to rededicate. It's time to, to repent, confess, come back to me. That's scary. And maybe for some of you, I've been asking you to recall that moment in your life when God called and you responded and you cannot point to a time. You cannot point to the evidence, to the moment where you said yes to God. The call is on you this morning. Time to respond. Is it scary to have to go grab someone's hand and say, I need that. I need a Savior. I need to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Is that scary? You bet it is. You might walk forward even with fear and in trembling, but if you walk, if you come and ask, if you come and pray, guess who's going to meet you right there? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to meet you as you come. He's not going to call you and then not see you through. What scares you today? <laughs> What's ahead of you that scares you? Take a moment to think back how you got to the place where you are now. If it's only by God's grace you've reached this day, I think, I know He's going to take care of tomorrow. Let's take a moment to pray together. Let's go before the Lord right now. I'm going to ask you to right now, before I pray over you, just begin seeking God, to seek God in what he's saying to you because god calls and sometimes we don't want to listen to voice because it's so scary but where god is pushing us and challenging us how is god calling today i'm going to ask even as i pray and even right now as i speak 
to take a moment and think back. I want you to recall the time when God called your name and you said, Yes, God, I'm here. I want you to think of it. I want you just to sit in that for a moment and realize what God has done. Don't try to take credit. Don't try to think that you had something yourself. Just admit it right there in that moment. God saved you in spite of what was going on in your life. Just give Him thanks that He saved you, that He uses the weak things. He uses your broken things. He uses your hurtful things. And He's going to take it and do awesome things with it. I want you to point to that moment in your life and talk to Him about it. Say thank you. And if you don't have that moment, if you don't know that you've got that peace with God, that reconciliation with God that allows you right now to go before God and talk to God and, and, and just converse back and forth with Him of, uh, and pointing out those times in your life, then friend, what are you waiting on? There's, there's not just some special moment that you hope that God's going to turn on all the lights and give you the huge sign. He's calling you right now. He's giving you a chance right this second to say, I'm willing to receive you as my Savior. Right this moment, He's giving you that chance. I know you feel scared. I know you feel inadequate. But God wants to save you in spite of all that. After I pray, after I pray, you're going to have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to come and receive and to pray and respond. Do whatever the Lord will tell you to. You can come grab myself one of our other leaders at the front of the back, just come, just come grab one of us who are, again, at the front of the back and say, can we talk? Say, can we pray? Tell us what's going on with you. We're going to be right here ready to help you respond unto the Lord. Let's pray together. We, Father, we come this morning rejoicing in who you are and what you've done. God, what a good moment to stop, to look back and reflect on from where we've come. Remembering the day that you called and the day we responded. God, help us realize that you didn't call because of something we had in us. You didn't try to draw us unto you because we were some specially talented or influential or whatever kind of person. God, you chose us in spite of our sinfulness and our brokenness and ugliness and all that, and you chose us and you saved us. God, and you have worked miracles in spite of all the ways we have fought you along the way. God, help us realize that any blessing we get to count today has come not from our doing, but from your hand. God, help us look unto what you're calling us to do next. Realizing that what is behind us gives us assurance for what is in front of us. Knowing that you saved us by your name, by your power, for your glory, and if you're calling us something ahead, who are we to say no? God, I pray that your church, your children, respond unto you. God, I, we don't want to put this in a box of this is exactly how it is and how you're supposed to come forth. And God, I just pray that each person here would seek you in this very moment and say unto you, God, what would you have me do? If that person needs to come forward to receive prayer, put that burden so heavy upon them they can't sit still. Father, they may need to go and be in a prayer encourager to another person in the sanctuary. Let them go run over to that person. Maybe they need to offer forgiveness or seek forgiveness. Let them go and get reconciliation. 
God, let us not be worried about our pride or dignity in this moment, but let us respond unto you with a passion and a zeal and intensity that just makes everything else pale in comparison. God, we love you. We rejoice that we have this time together. We pray that by the very name of Jesus. Amen. We want to give you this chance to respond.